0: Greetings, I am Dr. Sonia Whittaker, host of the podcast show entitled, What's Really Going On? A Spotlight for Solutions to Improving Student Achievement in America's Public Schools. And I'm so excited to share with you that this podcast is currently available via iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Spotify. You may also access this particular podcast and others by visiting with me at my website, which is SonyaWhitaker dot com, S O N Y A W H I T A K E R dot com, and I am thrilled to share with you today that our guest is R- Mr. Ralph Martiri. Thank you so much for being here. I'd like to start out by reading a little bit about Mr. Martiri. In addition to Ralph Martiri's role. As Executive Director of the Center for Tax and Budget Accountability, also referred to as CTBA, he is also the Arthur Rubloff Endowed Endowed Professor of Public Policy at Roosevelt University. It is also important to know that he has had many accomplishments in his tenure in many different roles. During his time at CTBA, Ralph has helped obtain numerous legislative successes, including passage of the evidence based model of education funding in fiscal year 2018 for the state of Illinois, a state earned income tax credit, creation of a bipartisan legislative task force to integrate workforce and economic development policies, passage of the 2011 temporary tax increases amongst many other successes as it relates to that. I think it is also very, very important to acknowledge that Ralph has received numerous awards for his work on education policy reform, including being named River Forest Co-Villager of the Year by the Wednesday Journal for his work promoting equity in District 90, where he served as school board president. Most recently, he was elected to serve as a member of the high school district in the same particular area, Oak Park River Forest, Illinois. And that district is school district number 200. He has received, again, numerous awards. But the two that stands out the most amongst the many that he has received is one, being received or receiving the honor of receiving the Hubbard Award, which is given to the Illinois, by Illinois State University to individuals that greatly benefit public education. He is also extremely proud of being presented by the Rainbow Push Coalition as an individual who's done amazing things in the field of education and public policy. Without further ado, I would like to bring on, welcome and thank you so much, Mr. Martiri, with your busy schedule for being with us here today. How you doing? Always
1: a pleasure talking to you, Dr. Whittaker.
0: Thank you. Mr. Martiri, I know that I shared a little bit about your background, but I think it's important to hear from you. Could you start out by sharing some information with our listening audience about your background from your perspective?
1: Well, you know... uh, I have a I have a mixed background, and I think a good one for someone who does public policy, because I was lucky enough, if that's the correct way to put it, to have grown up in a relatively low-income, racially mixed community. So I had the opportunity to grow up with a bunch of people that didn't look like me, didn't necessarily think like me, but all had the same problems, because we were all at the same income level, right? Mm. And, and I think that that's that's helped inform my approach to developing public policy systems that really promote access to opportunity for everyone. Because I really believe in, in the American dream and what it stands for. But if it stands for anything, it's that the circumstances of somebody's birth shouldn't limit the extent of what they can do with their life outcomes. And, Education, to bring us to where you and I both involve ourselves, Dr. Whitaker. education. Education is the great leveler for creating access to opportunity in a society that, let's just say right now, has significant income inequality and racial inequality up and down. But if, if everyone, irrespective of race or income, has access to a quality education, the data show that's the ticket to not just self-sufficiency, but really making it in the modern economy and being an active member of our democracy. So it is what it is. I think my background and the way I grew up made me interested in issues like equity and equality, et cetera. But when I got into working for the think tank and doing public policy, and I started Studying these big policy systems like K-12 education, I saw that they were, in fact, flawed and not creating the sort of access to opportunity that we would all like, and so I worked on that. So that's sort of my background.
0: Awesome. I want to share with you that this particular series, Series 1 of this podcast show, is focused on equity. And what I have learned in conducting these interviews is that people have many different definitions that they used for the term equity can you please share what the term equity means to you
1: yeah i mean it's pretty simple really and it doesn't it sure doesn't mean equal i mean an equitable educational system let's let's put it in context of an educational system an equitable educational system is a system that provides every student the resources And opportunities that student needs based on her or his unique personality and demographics to succeed academically. So, an equitable system is one that doesn't have, for example, statistically meaningful predictors on potential academic outcomes based on income or race, Mm -hmm. because the system should be able to ensure that those characteristics involving a student's demography, how they're born, where they're born, their family, don't impact whether or not the student is going to be successful academically. Now, unfortunately, there really isn't an educational system in the U.S. today at the state or local level that's completely free of this. And, and that's why we need to be looking at our educational systems to ensure they are providing that sort of equitable opportunity to every student, irrespective of that student's circumstances. I, w- I would say further, why why everyone should be concerned with this, when you when you start doing an equity initiative, so you mentioned that I, I received the award as co-villager of the year in River Forest for the equity initiative we did there. Well, some members of the community in River Forest didn't like the equity initiative because they viewed it as a zero-sum game. And they said, wait a minute, if District 90 is going down a path towards equity, that means it's going down a path where it's going to be investing in disadvantaged kids, black and brown kids, low-income kids. And that means it's going to take away from my kid, my white, successful affluent kid that's really not how an equitable system works. It it gives every student what that student needs. So if your student happens to be a very top performer and gifted, then in an equitable system, your student will receive the academic rigor and challenges that your student really needs to maximize her or his intellectual potential. And trying to Ensure sure, the community at large understands that that's really how an equitable system works is crucially important from a political standpoint because it, it takes away all these parental fears of a zero-sum game and and the kind of racial politics that could be polarizing and, and brings the whole community together to work toward a system that serves every student that attends it.
0: Thank you so much. That explanation was very, very thorough. And I must admit, you brought out a point that I can appreciate when we don't hear a lot when we talk about equity. And that is this idea that it also can prove beneficial to students that are excelling academically. So I just want to kind of go off script and thank you for pointing that out. You shared a little bit, but I'll have you go a little bit deeper about your equity journey. Can you elaborate we know this this work toward creating equitable systems or equitable learning environments for students is not easy. Can you share a little bit about your equity journey?
1: Okay, well, I I've so I talked enough about my my youth. So I'm not really excited talking about that. I I'd, I'd rather talk about sort of after I was in the policy field. So, you know, I had been working on education funding reform in the state of Illinois since, I don't know, fiscal year 2001 or two, when the Center for Tax and Budget Accountability first did a major study on on the correlations between educational finance and educational outcomes by race and by income, by ethnicity, et cetera. So for a long time, I was trying to get the state of Illinois to do a better job. And because of that work, actually, President Obama appointed me to what was called the Equity and Excellence Commission. It was established by an act of Congress in 2011, and it was housed in the Civil Rights Division of the Federal Department of Education. And the commission was charged with looking nationally at whether or not systems of finance in America are actually contributing to achievement gaps. And if they are... How would you reform these systems of finance so that rather than contributing to achievement gaps or disadvantaging certain populations because of their income or their race or their ethnicity, how do you design a system of finance that actually promotes access to opportunity for everyone? And we we issued a major report the commission did in 2013 called For Each and Every Child that contained a lot of best practices on how you would create such a finance system for public education in the U.S. And we didn't just look at the U.S. I mean, we looked at Finland, other OECD nations. I mean, we really looked at everything that was available from a research standpoint to pull together the recommendations that went into that report. So following the issuance of that report, I had already been working on the evidence-based funding model in Illinois, maybe since 2010, 2011. But the report really gave us impetus to push the legislature to seriously tackle this big change in finance. And and one way we were able to do it, interestingly enough, was, yes, the evidence-based funding formula is equitable in allocation of resources by design. It's the most equitable in the country but the way we were able to get a broader group of legislators to focus on it was was by looking at that other aspect of the legislation and that was its evidence basis and it, it, it made it very easy speaking to people who have maybe a more conservative world view and equity isn't the first thing on their radar or something they care about in an education system or an education finance system but evidence-based practices that actually enhance student achievement, well, that's something pretty pretty interesting and appealing to everyone, irrespective of their Mm -hmm. worldview. And so what we did our equity campaign by leading with evidence and said, look, this new funding model puts educational investments into those practices which the research show actually enhance student achievement for all kids and don't you madam or mr legislator want to support this great evidence-based approach don't you want to fund what works that changed the whole dialogue right right and suddenly conservative people who didn't care about equity had a hard time not caring about doing what the evidence shows works right.
0: absolutely absolutely what What do you believe to be the root causes of the problems associated with some students not having equitable access to the financial resources needed to experience success in school?
1: Well, you know, Dr. Whitaker, there's a lot of reasons for these. You got to step a little outside of education to really understand, but let's take Illinois as a microcosm because that's we're such we're such an easy state because we. We've, we've been at the extremes. We Before the passage of the EBF, we actually had the least equitable school funding system in America. And now, with the passage of it, we have the most. So we're a great before and after case. So if you look at historically housing policies, exclusionary housing policies, intentionally racist by design, over – generations, what happened was African Americans, for the most part, were segregated into communities of low property wealth and prevented from moving into communities of even middle-income, much less upper-income families, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. all the research, there's no contrary research to that. So this was really the housing policy and it was it was clearly racially discriminatory and it was going on in Illinois of course but throughout the country
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then in Illinois what happened over time was the state underfunded K12 education from state based tax revenue sources and over relied on funding education from local property tax-based resources. So much so that the year before the the state of Illinois adopted the evidence-based funding formula, fiscal year 2017, Illinois ranked first in the nation out of all 50 states in reliance on local property taxes to fund schools and 50th in the portion of state-based revenue that funds schools. That effectively tied the quality of public education a student receives in our state, in Illinois, to the local property wealth of the community in which that student lives. Well, guess what? If for generations you have segregated through racially discriminatory housing and other policies African-American communities in low property wealth areas, and you yeah. rely primarily on property taxes right. to fund schools, guess whose education is going to be the most underfunded?
0: You got it. You, you know, got
1: it's, it. it's it's not rocket science there, right? Right. And so that's really, you got to look a little outside of education to see how these things developed over time. Mm-hmm. But clearly that's what happened in Illinois. And so, and the data so strongly support that. So, The new evidence-based funding formula that we have, Dr. Whitaker, that, as you know, identifies a unique amount of resources every school district in the state needs to put in place the evidence-based practices that enhance student achievement. And I'm glad you said,
0: I'm actually glad that you said that, because that, like, leads into our next, the next question, which is, how do you propose that we go about addressing the root causes of the problem that you've identified?
1: Oh, yeah, just fund the evidence-based model. Mm-hmm. We just gotta fund it,
0: gotta and
1: it. and I say that because so so the model identifies the resources the district needs, and, and and that's its adequacy target. And then what we do is we look at well, what resources does it have between state and local funding, and then we look at what the gap is. And interestingly enough, so most districts in Illinois don't have the resources the evidence indicates. In fact, 82% of the school districts in the state, well over 700 of them, don't have adequate resources to educate their kids. However, when you then break these adequacy gaps down by student and by race, and you just look at the underfunded school districts, not the ones that have the resources they need. There's about 112 that do. You just look at these underfunded school districts. Here's what you find. Your typical white student that attends an underfunded school district is looking at a evidence-based funding gap of just over $3,000 per student. Your typical African-American student, over $4,600 per student. And that's where the old formula left us. The new formula was designed to eliminate these inequities and put resources into the districts that have traditionally not been funded. So the first year of funding of the evidence-based model was last fiscal year, fiscal year 2018. And we actually have the data for that. So $366 million over and above 2017 levels went into schools in 2018. That was the new funding for K-12 that went through the evidence-based model. Over... Seventy-nine percent of that new funding went to the school districts that had low-income populations of 53 percent or greater of their total population. And from a racial and ethnic standpoint, the the 79 percent of the new funding went to school districts that that educate 83 percent of our African-American students and 75 percent of our Latino students. So the model is working exactly as we would want it as a state to eliminate this historic inequity based on race and income through our old financing system by really driving the vast majority of the new resources that are coming in to the districts that need it most. There's the good news. Now you know the bad news, right? Yes. We're underfunded by seven point three billion dollars.
0: Exactly. So, <laughs> exactly. So yeah,
1: three hundred sixty six million, okay, good, and we'll take the money. Bad seven point three billion, we're nowhere near having adequate resources at the state level to fully fund this model. So if you really wanna overcome these inequities then you want to start seeing student achievement that is no longer predictable based on the race or income of a child we need to fully fund this model
0: absolutely absolutely mr ralph martiri you've done a lot what are your two most proudest accomplishments as it relates to better ensuring that all students have equitable access to a quality education
1: well i mean we, we briefly touched on one and i've talked a lot about the other so the the, the most proud of this evidence based funding formula. I mean, I co authored that legislation with a gentleman by the name of Mike Jacoby, who's with the Management Alliance. You know Mike really I do. well.
0: Don't I you? do, yes, I yeah. do. Yeah.
1: Great guy. And you should have him on your podcast one of these days. But yeah, he's really yeah. and 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 he did uh he and I did co author this and it did pass in a law. So I, I feel like that was a that was a major accomplishment. But then You know, getting the equity initiative off the ground in River Forest District 90 was also something I'm very proud of because, you know, our community is not one that you would think would have an equity lens or focus to to what they would support. We are mostly white and affluent. However, our demographics have been changing, so in the year 2000. Over 90% of our student population at D90 was white. It's now only 73% white. So we've had this major change in population, and we've seen an achievement gap. And to the great credit of the board of of uh, the board of directors of the school board that I worked on in District 90 for the last eight years, or worked with, I should say, they fully supported a real tough equity initiative That's looking at eliminating implicit bias, and we're we're doing evidence-based professional development on implicit bias in the district three to four times a year, and it's not just for faculty and administrators. The board takes it. We've changed pedagogy to go to the best practice, the the universal design for learning, which has actually been shown by the research to eliminate gaps in achievement based on race or income or ethnicity. So we're changing our whole pedagogy in the school district. We've put in place a monitoring program we've established a standing equity committee at the district that is monitoring how well we improve over time and making suggestions uh, for how to tweak the implementation of our equity initiative if it's not generating you know the kind of returns that we want to see it generate in improving student achievement for all of our kids and we've even created a publicly available dashboard so that now anyone can click on our website and, and look at what we've done or not done as far as moving the ball forward on equity, literally in, in any kind of academic performance, et cetera, et cetera. And it's a real user-friendly thing, so it's very transparent. And we've worked with the community on supporting this equity initiative, which I think is very important. And the most recent elections were a bit of a referendum on it because we did have a couple of people run literally as anti-equity candidates. You know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we're changing too much. we got to go back to the old values. There was nothing wrong before. If it ain't broke, don't fix it kind Mm -hmm. of people. (laughs) Excuse me. And they lost. And uh, the board members who supported this equity initiative and ran for re-election got re-elected as did the new candidate, and there were three of them, as did the new candidate who supported fully the equity initiative against the more conservative uh, folks who did not want to support it. So mm-hmm. I think that that's really wow. great. And and those are the two things, if I had to point to to, uh, that I, I'm most proud of because they have the greatest potential for actually impacting the lives of students.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that. You know, before I go into uh, final remarks, I want to say that I'm very humbled. I know you've been busy all day today and and all the time, quite frankly, to have you on my show. The focus of this show is to do exactly what we've done tonight, which is talk about those things that are occurring. And then more specifically, offer solutions as to how we can move our systems forward. And you've done just that. Do you have any final remarks that you want to share? And also, can you please share any contact information that you want to provide for the listeners that may be interested in learning more about the work that you do.
1: I think listeners have heard enough remarks out of me, I can talk all night, <laughs> so I'll just, I'll just give them contact information Sounds if they're good. interested in our work. You, they could go to our website, which is CTBA, for Center for Tax and Budget Accountability, so ctbaonline.org could see all our research and work there and of course they could always contact me at roosevelt university where i am the rubloff professor of public
0: policy awesome thank you so much mr martiri again i'm humbled that you've taken the time to be with us tonight audience thank you so much for tuning in to the podcast show entitled what's really going on a spotlight on solutions for improving student achievement in america schools again you may access the podcast via social media as well as through iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Spotify, in addition to visiting my website at sonyawhitaker.com, S-O-N-Y-A-W-H-I-T-A-K-E-R.com.